Welcome to the Questions of Life podcast. I'm Kath, I'm here with Donald. Hello. Tonight we are continuing our discussions around the Ten Commandments. We're looking at the last six, but we're also answering the question, why would I want God to tell me what to do? Enjoy our conversations. Now, we've covered the first four commandments. Can you remind us of what those are, please, Donald? <laughs> <laughs> As they are, don't take the Lord's name in vain, yep. keep the Sabbath, yep. don't build an idol, and worship no other god. Very good, without even looking in the Bible. Fantastic. And so tonight we're going to continue on, uh, but it kind of comes under this umbrella of a lot of people not wanting to be told what to do. We live in a society where I think there's a lot of freedom, freedom to express yourself, freedom to be the person that you want to be. And I think that should be celebrated. We don't want to live in a society where we are told what to watch, what to wear and how to live. Freedom is a good thing, as long as it's used in a helpful way to bless and to encourage others. And so our society is free. And one of the things I've noticed is there's been a shift with this freedom in people's responses to being told what to do, particularly by those who are in um, places of authority, whether that be teachers or the police, doctors, whatever it might be, there seems to be a, a section of society that kicks against that, that it's my right to believe what I want, it's my right to do what I want, you know, who are you to tell me what to do? We see that in the, in the coronavirus pandemic, there's a section of society that says, I don't want to listen to that. I'm not listening to that. Even this weekend, there was a, a group of people that were found, I think 70 of them on a boat having a party just because, well, no, it's, it's all right. We want, to, we want a party. Who are you to tell me that I can't? And I think that sometimes encroaches into people's thinking about God. Their idea of Christianity is that God is this, this killjoy, that God doesn't want us to have any fun, that he just... He's fire and brimstone. He has these rules and regulations. You must not do this. You must not do that. And just takes away all freedom and fun in life and tells us what we should do. Is that what God's like? Is God this killjoy? Uh, I don't think so. So I think it basically boils down to two choices about life. There's two ways of living life as far as I can see in this, in this kind of area. So the first way is to say... The most important thing in life is me, and nobody else matters as long as I get what I want. That is a mm -hmm. way of living. Mm -hmm. The second way of living is to say that the most important thing in life is love, mm -hmm. and to love and care and value each other, and to create a community of love and care. Mm -hmm. Personally, I would rather live in a society, I'd rather live my life by the rule of love than by the rule of self-centeredness. Mm -hmm. If we unpack self-centeredness, if, if I make every decision, like going on a boat, everything is about me and mm -hmm. it's what I want, mm -hmm. that's okay as long as everybody else is doing what I want. But if everybody else is doing what they want, actually society, culture completely breaks down and you have an incredibly frightening, unsafe, dysfunctional society where you, you, can't, you have to lock everything away. You may mm -hmm. say, well, that's where we are now. And that, I think, partly is, but it could be a whole lot worse. Mm -hmm. If we simply said, nobody can tell anybody what to do. You, it's the law of the jungle. You just have what you want. Mm -hmm. All that God is saying is human beings have been made to love. Mm -hmm. We've been made... To, 
in, we are genetically wired to feel compassion, mm -hmm. to feel care, to feel empathy, to be uh, alive when we love others. Mm -hmm that we've been made to love. And all that's going on in the Old Testament is God is just giving uh, guidance as to what love looks like. Mm. Because sometimes we don't really think it through as mm. to what is the most loving thing for somebody else. Mm. So personally, I don't think uh, God is a killjoy. I think God is saying, look, the greatest way to live is to be in a community of people who love and care for each other. What, there is nothing better than that. As far, if, if at the end of the day, I want everything to be about me, I'm going to be happier if everybody is trying to help mm -hmm. everybody. Mm -hmm. But if everybody is my rival and my enemy who I need to push down and mm -hmm. tread on in order to feel that I've got what I want, mm -hmm. it's a horrible life. The life of love, the life of generosity, the life of care, the life of forgiveness, the life of compassion, all of that is brilliant. And that's the only command really that Jesus underlines. He says everything else falls under that. Love your neighbour as you love yourself. Uh, so I don't think that's a killjoy. I think that's a brilliant way to live. I think it's inspiring. And so the Ten Commandments, in a sense, are, are fleshing that out. Yes, yeah, just giving us just the, the guidance as to what that actually looks like in real life. Mm. And we have these drives, we have these ways that we are hardwired, as you said, because we're created in God's image. So there's something of us that reflects what God is like. Yeah. And so God is love. Yeah. Bottom of the, the end of the day, yeah. God is love. And so there's part of us that, that craves that in a good and a bad way. Part of that that wants to reflect that and share that and be part of that in our world today. That's when we're most satisfied and fulfilled. Yeah. To quote... Lennon and McCartney, all you need is love. It is everything. It's what mankind needs. Fantastic. So we're looking at the Ten Commandments, not in the context of this is God just putting his foot down and saying you can't do a whole load of things. This is God saying, I love you. I want you to love others because actually this is the best way for you to interact with one another. This is the way that you'll get the least amount of hurt. You'll do the least amount of hurt and damage to others. These mm. are good principles for your life that will help you to live life to the full, yeah. to grow, to flourish, to be everything I've created you to be. Yeah. It's not about constricting. It's it, liberating. Yes. Setting us free to grow and to be who yeah. we were created Because you're no longer be. afraid of everybody else. Yes. Now, the downside is that not everybody adheres to these commandments and none of us are perfect. So there'll be some of these that we've maybe looked at or we're going to look at that will apply to all of us. None of us are perfect. None of us are immune from uh, doing our own thing, from being selfish and from messing up. But that's okay because we have a God who forgives us, a God mm. who works with us and who can over time change and help and heal us, mm. which is fantastic. So we've done the first four. We're going to try possibly and do the remaining six tonight. We'll see how we get on. But we're, we're taking these from Exodus chapter 20, back in the Old Testament. And so if we follow on, uh, starting at verse 12, it says, Honour your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. So let's talk about this whole idea of honouring our mother and father. What does it mean to honour someone? What does that phrase mean? Uh, I think it means to, uh, to give them value and to respect. Uh, and in different phases in our, in our life, that will look in di in differently. So we go through the phase 
as children, we're very dependent on our parents. Mm -hmm. So in that context, honouring is really about listening to what they say and coming to think that they probably have a little bit more understanding of life um, than us. As we become young adults, that isn't necessarily the case. They may not know as much about life as we do, but it's still listening to them, not ridiculing, not hurting. Uh, it's taking on board and weighing what they say. Uh, and then in, in a later season of life, maybe the season of life I'm in, my mother's uh, is uh, in her 90s. It's about um, it's about ensuring that she's well and mm -hmm. cared for, mm -hmm. and uh, it is on. It is I'm giving the word honour. It is it is uh, giving her value because mm -hmm. of what she's done for me throughout my mm -hmm. life. Mm. I was listening to someone talking about this and they likened it to uh, in a courtroom where you have the judge who walks in and they call him or her your honour. Yeah. Uh, and that's nothing to do with their personality or their character or what they've done. Mm -hmm. It's a title that they've been given because of their position, their mm. standing, and there's a respect. Mm. Uh, and I think the same is true in honour your mother and your father, the sense that it's not always about what they've done. And we'll explore how sometimes that relationship isn't always easy and how do you honour your parents when that isn't straightforward. But there's a bottom line, isn't there? Treat these people with respect because they've brought you into this yeah. world. Uh, and they've tried on the whole to do their best to bring you up. Therefore, you're not to look down upon them or belittle them or publicly slate them, but actually there's something within them that actually deserves you to respect mm. them, to hold mm. them in higher mm. esteem and, and to do what you can to help that whole relationship. Mm. So let's take a, an ordinary, average, everyday person that has a perfectly fine relationship with their parents. In practice, how do you do that? I mean, you've, you've said a few little things there, but how do you honour your parents? So I think, I think firstly, as a, a parent, I think it's important to understand what the role of a parent is. A, a parent is given a completely 100% helpless human being aged a few minutes. Mm. And they have to do absolutely everything, otherwise that child will die within hours. Mm. I tend to think it's quite helpful to think that at the age of 18, they let go mm -hmm. and they say, you are now fully responsible for your life. Mm -hmm. And over those 18 years, the parent has to gradually prepare that child for adulthood and then push them out of the nest as a bird does and say, go and live your life. In, and I, I, I've done what I can. Mm -hmm. Now, most parents find that incredibly hard to do. They either err on two sides. They either find it very difficult to let go at 18, and they're still managing their life when you're in your 50s. <laughs> uh, and you can understand why they do that, but actually that's not the role of a parent. Mm -hmm. it's, you know, a bird has to let the, the, other, the, other, the chick fly. Some parents give up looking after their kids way before 18, either because it's become too painful or they can't mm -hmm. manage it. So... The process can go wrong. And so we need to, and we'll perhaps we'll come back to that in a moment, but the process can go wrong. But assuming it's gone right, for those first 18 years, there is a gradual process which will have its ups and downs and will have its painful moments. 
where you are listening and obeying your parents to then trying to work out why they say something, then trying to work out your own values. And honouring all of that means to at least listen. Mm -hmm. If you're a five-year-old, honouring your parents means when they tell you to tidy your room, you tidy your room. Mm -hmm. When you're a 17-year-old and they tell you to tidy your room, it means understanding why it hurts them that you haven't tidied their mm -hmm. room. Their room. Mm -hmm. So there is a process. Mm -hmm. After that, there is a sense of saying for 18 years or whatever it was, ideally 18 years, they made financial sacrifices, they, they worried over you, and they still do worry over you. And you never stop worrying for mm. your children. So part of honouring, I think, is saying, here is a human being who's got my back, who's yeah. worried for me. So I need to just keep them informed. I need to talk to them. I need to mm. update them. Mm. I need to reassure them. And I need to be grateful for those sleepless nights, those times of anxieties. Now, there are lots of things that go wrong. So there'll be lots of things where we say, well, I can't be grateful because this, that, and the other thing will we'll come to that. But um, it's, it, to me, if we go back to, the, to love, society is far stronger when it is intergenerational. And even if it's not our parents, when we come to value people who are older than us. So one of the things we feel it's important here at our church is to try and create an intergenerational church. It's incredibly hard. Mm -hmm. We try and do it on our live streams. It's really, really mm -hmm. hard to be intergenerational. Mm -hmm. It's very easy to reject older generations or reject younger generations. And actually, I, th I think we're all diminished and actually to have people who've been through life ahead of us is fantastic. Mm -hmm. One of the things, when I was a youth worker, one of the things that really frustrated me, and this, we're going back 20, 20 years, 25 years, is a number of teenagers who would say, I want to make my own mistakes. And I've always thought that that was stupid. I don't want to make a mistake that somebody else has made and I could avoid. Mm, absolutely. Because I'm going to make mistakes. I'd rather make a mistake that nobody foresaw mm. than to make a mistake that my parents or older folks had said, that's what's going to happen. Mm. So for me, th that part of honouring is actually good for me because mm. if I cannot make the mistakes my parents made, I'm going to stand on their shoulders mm. and that's going to be better for me. I'm going to have a better mm. life. And this sort of arrogance and pride that says, don't tell me what to do, all that ends up is I did make the same mess that mm. they may have made. Mm. So it's far better to say, what can I learn? What can I avoid? What can I not do? But that comes with a bit of maturity, but that also comes with good parenting. So it's, it's easy to say, don't do this, and then not see your kids all week and not spend time building relationship and being in a, a place where, they res where you respect them as a parent. It's, it's a kind of a two-way thing, isn't it? I completely agree with you. I don't want to make mistakes. I want someone else to say, Kathy, if you do this, this will happen. You think, okay, yeah, great. I don't want to go down that path. But that comes out of relationship, doesn't it? Mm. Uh, and that's difficult when you've got teenagers uh, and are wanting to go their own way, headstrong hormones, everything else. But I would imagine that one of the keys is to finding ways to communicate and being consistent in your communication uh, and being consistent in the things that you're telling them to do and that you do and, and a whole host of other things. So I think that the foundation of that relationship is key to that 
working and for a child to be helped to respect their parent and what they're saying. Yeah. I think, yeah, and I think one, uh, one of the things that helps me to honour m- my mother now is that I realise being a parent is such a nightmare. It's so hard. It's just virtually impossible. I don't know that any of us are good parents. Mm. You know, we all make mistakes. We all have... Mm. There, are, there is a time to say to your child, don't do that. There's a time to let them make that mistake. Mm. Getting that call right is incredibly difficult. There'll be times mm. when we're tired and we're frustrated. Uh, and uh, I think that part of... It's, it's really hard to be a parent. Mm. <laughs> I, I, I'm now much... I, I, you know, whatever... I, I, I went through a period of being very frustrated as a teenager with my with my dad particularly and I now look back and think yeah I, I'm, I'm, I've equally made cause that come out of frustration with my kids I'm sure I'm really wary about sitting here looking like a good parent mm-hmm. because I get my lads to talk to you and I'm not a good parent I don't know what a, I know what bad parenting mm-hmm. is I'm not a bad parent mm-hmm. but I don't think perfect parenting is possible Mm. and it's really really hard and so part of honoring our parents is to say you know what you had a really tough job to parent me and it's not easy and yes you made mistakes but we would have all made mistakes it's an impossible job but that normally comes some way down the track doesn't it doesn't normally come in your teens no it won't no there's there's normally that kickback against it that reaction that don't tell me what to do um yeah, and as a, if you're a parent of a teenager, you have to focus that at the end of the day you want to be their friend. And it's how you navigate that whatever you're telling them off for, that they still know you love them. It's maintaining that relationship that I should imagine isn't an easy thing no. to negotiate at all. No. But as a, as a young person, as a child, you never think, oh, it's difficult for my parents. No. I'm a difficult child. Uh, no. I'm difficult to parent. You, you just never think that. No. Uh, at all. Uh, just to throw in at this point, that as a church, we do have um, a couple of courses that we run in this whole area of parenting. And we have one coming up. I think it is the 23rd of February, five weeks on a Tuesday evening, looking at parenting children. So if you have children aged between 0 to 10, we have a wonderful team headed up by the Tiptons, who via Zoom will be just giving guidance, the opportunity to chat, speak advice into it. So it's for parents, it's for grandparents, it's for carers, it's for those that have responsibility for children. Uh, And there's details of that on our website. If you have a look there, you can find out more details. I think one of the strengths of our church is recognising that some of these things are really difficult and that everybody's in the same boat in a sense that, as you say, nobody, I think, finds parenting a complete breeze Mm. and really, really easy. So Mm. having places where you can go and not feel I am the worst parent in the world, but other people say, do you know what? Well, we did this and we've messed that up. And having a place where there's no judgment and condemnation where somebody says, okay, let's just look at that. What what could we do next time? Mm. Or other little strategies and things that just speak into it that's, that's really, really helpful, but without judgment and and that for me is the value of intergenerational again you've had people that have gone before people that are going through it there's a there's a sense of collective wisdom that that we bring to that so i would commend those to you have a look at our website if you're interested uh, in them so the premise is that 
for most parents, their intention is to bless their children. It is to bring them up to be well-rounded individuals in an environment of love. Yeah. That's the bottom line for most parents. They don't set out to hurt, to damage, to no. do the things that some people go through. That's not their intention. For a very small percentage, that they, they possibly have a lack of love and desire to care for their child. Mm -hmm. Rare, but it, it still does yeah, yeah, happen. Yeah. And then you have some parents who set off with the best of intentions, but because of the pressures of life and other things, actually end up not caring for their children and damaging them. Or they don't know how to care. They've never been They've taught never themselves. Been taught. Yep. So mm. if you're a child, and I use the word child, you could be a 10-year-old, you could be 110. If you're a child who's been in that situation, and the Bible says, honour your mother and your father... What does that look like? How do you begin to go about that if you've been in a situation where your parents have damaged and hurt you? Maybe they've turned their back on you. Other terrible things have happened. Where do you begin to reconcile this and what would you say? Well, I think it's, it's a really difficult and important subject and I wouldn't want to give a glib answer that applies to every situation. I think we talked before, I think, perhaps about areas of abuse the most important thing is that you cannot continue in a relationship that is dangerous for you as a person. Mm -hmm. And so if parents are really damaging, then we honour them by saying, this relationship isn't working and we yeah. need to be apart because you're damaging me and that yeah. in turn is damaging you because that's not how you were created to be. So there can, there can be a point where honouring looks like saying, I need to mm -hmm. separate out. Mm. If that's the case, I would encourage you to be able to get to a place of praying for them. Mm -hmm. um, what, what, when you say praying for them, what is it that you, you're praying for? A praying that God's purpose and will for this parent would prevail. Mm -hmm. And that whatever damage is in their life, mm -hmm. that God brings about healing that you might mm -hmm. discover in the next life. Yeah. Um, I think that a more common situation would be that we don't take on board or obey our parents. Sometimes people think this command says obey and it doesn't. Mm -hmm. And as parents, my children should not be obeying me now. They're all over 18. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things my dad did, which was really helpful on my 18th birthday, he said, uh, I'm still at home, didn't go to uni at that point. He said, you can come in when you want, you can do what you want. Uh, you can eat what you want. Just tell us what time you're going to be in and that'll be 50 quid a week. Perfect. And, and it was like, there was a cutoff. Yeah. I'm no longer. And I think we need to do that as parents. Yeah. But if you are the child of someone that is dysfunctional or, or you don't have to obey, you can honour while saying, I don't agree with what you're asking me to do. Mm -hmm. If it's what they're asking you to do is wrong, if what they're pressurising, if mm -hmm. they are still treating you as a child mm -hmm. and still demanding, then I think you, you just have to sort of create some boundaries and some barriers if you can. How do you do that? How do you cut the apron strings? Because like you say, for some parents, like your, your father, that's a great thing to say and to do. You know, it's clear. There's a line in the sand. You're now 18. You take responsibility for your life. But, uh, and this doesn't apply to my parents, but there are parents out there that, that still have quite a say 
even when you're older uh, as to what's going on and it, it's, it's, it's difficult. How, how do you begin to handle that? And I know they don't mean it. Mm. <sighs> I think it's very difficult. I think that those parents probably need their own peer group to be helping them. So they probably need other people to be saying, you shouldn't be doing that. Mm. I think what can happen is that you as a child say, I'm, that's not your business, mum, dad, or whatever it is, or I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to take that job. I'm not going to do that university mm. course. I'm not going to, there's a big row, there's a big bust up. And at that point, hopefully somebody draws alongside the parents and says, you just, let's just think this through a bit. They're mm. no longer children, they're adults. Mm. If that's not possible, sometimes you have to draw your the line in the sand and pray that in a few months, a few years, it can be worked round. Mm. I don't think it does them any good to play along with it. Mm. I don't think we were created to manage people's lives. Mm -hmm. We were created to care for children and then mm -hmm. set them free. Mm -hmm. And to try to manage our children when they are adults is damaging to the child and to us as, as adults. Um, Sometimes we don't see it. Sometimes you just, it's the pattern of life, isn't it? And that, that carries on with grandchildren as well. And that becomes difficult. And, and there is a time, I think, when you say, I love you, but, mm. and then just, Firmly, but in love, you say it because that's the right thing to say, mm -hmm. uh, and you say it gently but strongly. In love, I think the in love bit isn't a ca isn't a catch all that I can just be rude and say what I want. But genuinely in love, you are my parents. I love you, but you have to let me make my choices. Mm. You have mm. to help me to do that. How can I help you to to let go of that as well and have that? Mm. awkward and difficult conversation and it may be that you have to keep having it it may be that you have to keep going back look you know we talked about this you've just said this or you've just done this um, I'm happy to talk to you about the decisions I make but I want to be the one that makes them by all means input some of your wisdom and I think that's right to go to your parents and ask for their opinion but not to be told what to do it's, it's, it's a little treading on eggshells gently in love yeah I mean I'm uh, he, I, my mum and dad, my dad died shortly after I was 18 anyway, but my mum has never told me what to do since mm. I was 18. Mm. And it makes you more likely to ask mm. their opinion because mm. she's never, ever told me to do anything apart from cut my hair. I was going to say, it's the only <laughs> thing my mum says to me now, and she's desperate for somebody to cut my hair, but nobody can because obviously we're in lockdown, but she goes, just get a pair of scissors. She's, every time I speak to her, she cut your hair. So now I won't do it just out of cheer. You know, that's just me. <laughs> it's my mum's birthday soon. Love you, mum. Um, these, I think these... it's, I think this, it's difficult as a child. I want to speak to parents and mm. say, let them go. Yes. Yes. It's never too late to let them go. No. Because the, the, they need that. That's, mm. that's what they... You know, when we get to heaven, God isn't going to say, did you do what your parents said? He's going to say, did you do the right thing? Absolutely. Absolutely. This is all quite tricky, isn't it, in, mm. in many ways. And, and, and going back to those that have been damaged by their parents. So there's this sense that you don't have to do what they tell you to do. No. That's absolutely fine. 
there's this sense that you don't have to be with them or see them if that's unhelpful. There is a there is a helpfulness in in again we talk about drawing a line in the sand, but but actually saying I should not put myself in that situation mm. because that is hurtful, that is damaging, that is dangerous. Now that isn't you not honouring your parents. That is you honouring um, who God created you to be and recognising your value mm. and that God doesn't want you in that situation. So God's not judging us negatively yeah. for that. I think the thing where it becomes more complicated is that I don't... I think our society is, is leaving a lot of older people on their own. Yeah. Um, and from, so the next stage is how do you honour an elderly parent? Yeah, and I think that's where it's quite costly. Mm. And it's hard work, especially if there's dementia. Mm. And I think that nobody should be alone in their older age. Mm. It's just a, a dreadful experience to be. Mm. So there may come a point where we've had to say through the middle part of our life, look, our relationship needs to be very separate or distant because you can't stop damaging me. Mm. But at some point it reverses and they become almost the child. Yeah. And there I think if we can find God's strength and help to let go of how they treated us and to see them as vulnerable children who need the care or, or, or the support. And I know that's really, really difficult. And I'm in a tremendously blessed position that, um, you know, I've got three sisters and we uh, were all involved in support of my mum, but one of my sisters lives nearby and, and is a wonderful, wonderful saint mm. and cares for my mum. Mm. Not that my mum isn't easy to care for. She, and she's very easy to care for. So I have it very easy. But uh, I think my childhood was that we had my grandmother staying with us who had dementia for 20 years. She lived mm -hmm. in the house with dementia. Mm -hmm. I can only imagine how painful that was for my mum and dad. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it, that's where it becomes really tricky mm. and it's costly to honour mm. your parents. It's costly, it's difficult and I don't underestimate that at all. Mm. Um, but somehow we need to change the culture that forgets about the elderly. For some people, they may be listening to this and they may be um, a parent or they may be a child that thinks... I've not done this right. And maybe as a child, your parents are getting old or they're actually no longer with us. Or maybe as a parent, you're thinking, I've blown it, I've, I've not done what I should have done. And, and I'm estranged from my children. What would you say into that situation? Because they're very painful situations. Mm. I think the first thing is to just be completely honest with God mm. and to pray and to give the hurt and the regret that we have to him because he can heal that within us and help us to not let it continually scar us and be repeated in our lives. And that's yeah. the first thing is to say, I need to bring this to God. And he, that's what the cross is about. Yeah. It's about him taking our sin and our burdens and our mistakes and our regrets and miraculously bringing healing. So the first thing mm -hmm. I would say is to just bring them to God Mm. Um, I think that if a person is still alive, 
it's never too late to pray over a letter and say, is it right to say, you know, I regret this, that, or the next thing? Um, and each case will be different. Mm. And for some people, it's not the right time to send a letter. Mm. And for some people, it's, um, it's very tricky. Mm. Um, one of the things I've experienced in my job is a number of things said on deathbeds. So in the last few days of a person's life, things are put right. People mm. say, I'm sorry, mm. and all of that. And that's a tremendously powerful and helpful. But I can't help feeling that that could be an incentive for some of us to do it before the deathbed. Yeah. Yeah. Because then others of us don't get the opportunity to say those mm. things around the hospital bed. Mm. Um, if we want to say something, I think we need to find a way of saying it. And a letter can often be a more helpful way. And uh, because sometimes in a conversation, it, it, it we say what we want them to say, and then it becomes a yes, but, and they say something, and that rattles us, and we go into the old cycle, and the hurt increases. So sometimes a letter uh, can help, and then we have to put it in their court. And if they don't want to get back to us, or they don't accept that, we have to let that be, and again bring that hurt and pain to God, and ask mm -hmm. for His His healing and His and His strength to cope with that. I think the letter is quite disarming. I think if I was to go up to somebody and say, I, I need to talk to you about this. If there's, a, if there's been hurt and difficulty in that relationship, that can be quite a hard thing to do. So immediately mm. someone's walls come up and all oh, this is going to be difficult. Whereas a letter, I think, is quite disarming because they can decide to read it when they want to read it. They can mm. read a bit and put it down. They can go back to it. They can reread it. They can think about it. And I think the whole thinking about it and reflecting on it and not immediately reacting with that, mm. oh, you say that now, but there's this, 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 and this, mm. I think it's really helpful. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think that's, that's a really, really great thing. Mm. I know someone who had um, a difficult relationship with their mum and uh, it wasn't always easy. And we talked about it and we said, what is the most helpful thing you could do to help your mum to die well? And, and so they decided that they were going to write a letter and just be truthful and say, these are all the things that I love about you. These are all the things that made you a good mother. And not putting all the things that were difficult or were unhelpful, but just a sense of in those last moments, know that you're loved, know that there were some good things about your life and, and not make it into a, but you did this and you said that and I'm still holding on to this. It was a, how can I bring something positive yeah. into the whole situation? It's not point scoring it, so you're going to die. And um, that person was, I want, to, I want them to die with me having done what I can mm. to bless them, to encourage them to speak good into their life. It's costly. I mean, it's, it's yeah. not an easy thing to do, mm. but I, I think it's good. I think... Absolutely, and I, I'm reminded, I think there are three stages of our relationship. I think I've probably said this, but I was reminded, I've got a funeral to do this week, and um, the family were describing that their loved one, and they, one of the families said this, which I found very, very helpful and profound. They said, uh, he was my, my best mate. 
which is fantastic. Mm. And it made me realise there are, there are generally three stages. The first stage is where we are cared for by our parents. Mm. The second stage is where they're just friends. Mm. This is in the ideal. Mm. But then what often happens is the third stage where we are their carer. Mm. Now, the middle stage may not happen mm. because there's all kinds of things go wrong and they're never our friend. Mm. But sometimes you can skip that Mm. and go to the caring stage. So then the latter part of their life, you say, I'm now the adult. Yeah. I'm now the carer. Yeah. And I'm not going to pretend that I need caring for anymore, but mm. I am going to offer maybe something mm. that I didn't receive. Yeah. And, and ideally, we, we go through the, they're my mate, but if we can't, sometimes we can re-engage as the carer. And I've known a number of situations where people would say it was in the last few years of their life mm. that we repaired things mm. because I was no longer looking for love that they couldn't give. Mm. I was focused on giving love that I hadn't received. Yeah. And when we change that yeah. around and that's our focus is to give mm. something rather than to say, why haven't they done this for me? Mm. Sometimes that can transform the relationship. Mm. Brilliant. So honouring our mother and our father, any Anything else you want to say into that before we move on? Uh, well, I would just, alongside it, in the New Testament, Paul says on a number of occasions, parents and fathers in particular, do not exasperate your kids. It's a two-way street. <laughs> you cannot expect to be honoured yeah. if you are dishonourable. And if yeah. you exasperate and if you hurt and if you damage, you can't demand to be honoured. You've, you've blown it. I read a statistic today that the average... Uh, parent, this may be pre-lockdown, spend uh, 45 minutes a week in conversation with their child. That's a little bit exasperating. Mm. And we live in a different society. Everyone's got their own mobile phone mm. or they're on Netflix in their rooms. Where it can be very easy to become disconnected as a family, mm. can't it? And the onus, I think, is on the parents to try and, in a helpful way, um, re-establish those relationships? We could go on, but I'll just say one final thing. <laughs> just, just have another just challenge for parents. I have a dog. Mm -hmm. I love pets. You have a dog. You have two dogs. Children are not pets. Mm -hmm. A pet, you train, it stays the same and it's faithful and it does what you say for the rest of its life and it loves you. Mm -hmm. I think some parents think that's what kids are. So I'm going to have a baby now yeah. and it, what, they, what they think they're going to get is this cuddly, friendly little thing that's forever going to be what they want it to be, that they can dress nicely, show off to people and it will be what that... It, children are not pets, they're human beings who mm -hmm. grow up into independent, free spirited adults so we as parents need to stop pretending they're a pet who are going to mm. stay the same mm. we need to set them free yeah absolutely check out our parenting courses if you want help with that <laughs> non-judgmental i don't have children but you know the older you get the more i look at it, i think oh gosh what a complete nightmare uh, it's yeah. the hardest job in the world i struggle with the dogs a little <laughs> 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 Excellent. Okay. Honour your mother and your father. I'm trying to see what we're doing for time. Okay, so let's We're not going to do the rest in one go, are we? <laughs> no. <laughs> Never mind. No. So we go from honouring your mother and your father to not committing murder, which I always think is quite funny. It comes, <laughs> it comes yeah, they're, they're hand in hand. After that. Now, in some ways, murder is quite straightforward. 
it's quite easy for us to, to get. But I'm going to ask you two questions about murder. I might ask you some more. We'll just see how we go on. First question is, is there any occasion where it is okay to kill somebody else? So I would try and answer it this way. <laughs> that, as I understand the Bible, and Christians will take different points of view on this, you sort of range from pacifists to, to elsewhere. I un my understanding of the Bible is that an individual can never take life, mm -hmm. but that a state can take life to protect the members of that state. Mm -hmm. In other words, there's a lawful and judicial process. Not, I'm not talking about the death penalty, but I'm talking about soldiers who are there to protect um, so I have never I don't think God ever gives an individual the power to take somebody's life mm -hmm. but he does give the state, the individual the, the, the power to uh, institute an army who are there to protect that may take life under orders mm -hmm. so that's the way I would understand it so uh, what about, um, let's imagine someone runs in here to attack me. I get the drumsticks. Uh, to defend myself, I end up poking them through their eyes and killing them. Sorry, <laughs> everybody at home. Um, so it's self-defense. Is that okay? I think it has to be then go to a court of law. And if a court of law says that it's self-defense, yes, it may be that in defending, the, the, the force required to defend yourself happens to kill the person. Uh, we, we may stray into other areas. If I happen to be carrying a gun, I don't think that's self-defense. Oh, can we talk about Trump? How exciting. I don't think yeah. that escalating violence yeah. is self-defense. So if I'm carrying a gun, someone attacks me, and I use my gun to defend myself, what are you saying? You're saying I shouldn't do that. I'm saying that I don't think society is safer by everybody carrying guns. Absolutely. That I'm more likely to be shot if everybody else is carrying a gun. It goes back to this thing about selfishness. If I want the whole world to be my world, then yes, I'm going to carry a gun. The problem is that if I'm going to have a carry a gun, everybody else is going to carry a gun. Everybody else is going to carry a gun. The world is far less safe. Yes. But fundamentally, self-defense is not firing Mm. A bullet, that's an mm. attack. Mm. And I don't think mm. we, you, I don't think you should take life. Mm. I don't think we should take life as mm. individuals. Mm. But you think it's okay if you're part of the army? If that, if the, if, I don't think it's easy, but I think that uh, there have been what we call a just war, somewhere. Mm. Force is already being used by a nation that is unjust, genocide, holocaust, mm. those kind of things. In order mm. to uh, save more lives, some lives have to be taken of those who've already put themselves in the firing line. I don't think it's what God wants, but I think it's uh, part of the sinfulness of mankind. That uh, mm. I don't think it's how God created us. That no. was not his desire, because no. you talk to... Anyone that's killed somebody else, whether that's the army or whatever, it has an effect. That yes. stays with them for the yes. rest of their life. It's yes. not an easy burden they carry. Yeah. I think it's a real sacrifice to serve your country and to be in that situation where you are asked to shoot somebody else. Mm. It's against 
human instincts unless you're being fired upon. Mm. But it's it's not natural. Mm. It's not what we were created to do. Mm. I think that's huge if you've mm. been in that mm. situation. Mm. I think God can help and God can heal and God can work. But I, I do think it's huge. I think fundamentally a lot of the confusion is the difference between a soldier and a, human, and a, a civilian. And I think the Bible, that's, there's different instruction for those different circumstances. Yep. So when we look at the Ten Commandments, something like do not commit murder makes sense to us. Yeah. It, it's a no-brainer in, in, in many ways. Mm. Okay, fantastic. Right, now we come on to uh, you shall not commit adultery. Now, this one's really, really interesting because of what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 27. So talk to us about what is adultery. Uh, essentially, adultery is to uh, have a sexual activity encounter with someone who we are not committed to in marriage. Mm-hmm. So... There, some people think you can only commit adultery if you're married, but I don't think that's what the Bible talks about. It's about engaging sexually with someone who we're not married to. So you talk about engaging sexually. Jesus takes it a, a, a stage further and kind of muddies the waters in many ways. And you're like, what the heck? So in Matthew 5, 27, he says, mm-hmm. you've heard that it was said you should not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now then, so he's saying that, that it's just as bad to look and think, hmm, yep. then it is, explain that to us. And he also says the same with murder. Absolutely. He says, if, you look at, if you're angry with somebody, you're committing murder. Mm-hmm. The reason is, and I think we've talked about this before, but the reason is that all actions begin as thoughts. Mm-hmm. And that if we want to change our actions we have to start with our thought life. So what we think is, uh, uh, what we think about changes our attitudes. What becomes our attitudes, our general feeling, will we'll, we'll slip into our actions. Mm. What becomes our actions becomes our habit. Mm-hmm. In other words, um, what Jesus is saying is that if you want to not commit adultery physically, Mm-hmm. You can't say, I'm going to do it all in the mind and then just stop at the action. Because once you, I mean, once your mind is thinking about those things, particularly in the sexual area and in anger, because both of those, it's about self-control. And uh, it's a bit like once you've got the thing really revved up and wound up, it's really hard to say, okay, I'll switch off now. Yeah. I'll stop. Yeah. So the more you think about, let's go back to the anger one, the more you think about how you hate someone, mm. the far more likely you are to just in the, the, the tone of voice, just in what you say to them, just quickly off the, off the spur of the moment, you are to say something hurtful. Mm. If you think anger, you will sooner or later display it. Mm. The same happens sexually. If you are thinking about a person or you're thinking about people other than the person you're committed to, mm. it becomes easier the more you fantasize about mm. it. It becomes easier to slip into the actual action. Now, being tempted isn't a problem. No. You look at Jesus. Jesus was tempted by the devil in the desert three times. Um, 
So the difference between temptation and giving into it and it being a sin is about five seconds, probably not even that long. So quite often the devil will tempt us by a thought, an image, something coming into our minds. It's not at our instigation. Yeah. It just appears there. And we've got about a second to work out what we're going to do with it. Mm. If we say, no, I'm not going there uh, and distract ourselves and think about something else, we have not done anything wrong. We mm. should not feel guilty, dirty or what have you. Yeah. The problem comes when it's there. Oh, you kind of dwell on it and, and you think about it. And the problem also comes when it's us that puts it there. Mm. When we're the ones that deliberately stir up that image, whether that is anger, that person, oh, I hate them, or, oh, yeah, no, I, I'm interested in that person. And, and you go through in your mind all of those things. The mind is incredibly powerful. Mm. And I suppose the first way to guard against temptation is to be aware of what's going on and to try and deal with it as, as quickly as possible. Mm. Mm, absolutely, absolutely. Not always that easy. No. I mean, it's easy for us to say, oh, yeah, three seconds, bang, go and think about something else, particularly in these two areas of sexual temptation and anger. Mm. I, I think they fuel us quite a lot. And we need to go back and say, well, what's wrong with adultery? Mm -hmm. and, and the point is that all of us as human beings have been created to feel safe and secure. And when another person uses us for their own sexual gratification and moves on to somebody else, it's a, it affects the very core of our being mm -hmm. and, it, and it hurts us and damages mm -hmm. us. Mm -hmm. So we talked about this before and we talked about uh, sex before, I think. That it, it's trying to say that we need to protect each other from mm -hmm. that kind of hurt. Mm -hmm. But I suspect there are many in our society today that don't see or acknowledge that they're hurt in that way mm. uh, I'm always amused I know you've never watched Love Island when I used to watch Love Island they'd be sharing a bed together for ages they'd be doing bits under the covers and stuff that's what they called it uh, we won't elaborate on that and uh, it wasn't until they'd done a load of stuff and they'd been sleeping in the same bed for ages that they'd begin to think about asking each other to be their boyfriend or their girlfriend and you're just like the world has changed the world has just gone completely mad you have done all of this physical stuff and now you're thinking oh do I want them to be my boyfriend and it's a really big deal oh you've become a boyfriend it's all the wrong way around it, there's, there's no commitment it's the, oh let's have a little bit of fun and then we'll decide and I think that's true for many of the younger generations today well not just the younger generations but this world that we live in I want to be free I want to express myself and they think they're having the time of their lives and yet you want to ask the question do you feel loved? Do you feel mm. valued? Do mm. you feel secure? You know, if you were to give yourself marks out of 10, how, what's your self-esteem like? Because I think for many of them, it wouldn't be that great. And they're trying to get their self-esteem. They're trying to get their confidence in all of the wrong ways. And so it's I would, deeply yeah, sad. I, I haven't watched Love Island. Um, <laughs> really? <laughs> but I... I my feeling, and this goes back to when I was a youth worker and did a lot of stuff around these kind of areas, is that we are exploited sexually by, I was going to say dirty old men in raincoats. Uh, there, is a, there, is a, there are people who think, let's take Love Island, for example. I think there are people who think this is what sells. Yeah. And so you get young people who think this is how I need to behave in order to feel valued. Absolutely. And I think it's all a big... 
in illusion. So mm -hmm. there's loads of young people thinking, I ought to feel good about this mm -hmm. because I've seen it in the magazines, I've seen mm -hmm. it on TV, I've seen it in social media, and everybody else is doing this, and I, and they're all happy, yep. and I'm not, so there's something wrong with me. The reality mm -hmm. is nobody's happy except a few dirty old men who are making a lot of money out of everybody watching this stuff. Mm -hmm. A few advertisers, a few people who, who mm -hmm. sell soft porn or whatever it is, mm -hmm. they make a lot of money because they tap into yeah. our base instincts and our natural desire for sexuality, which is a human mm -hmm. thing. Mm. And the big myth, and I used to have this a lot it, with, when I was in youth work, is if you've got a young person on their own, nobody is enjoying their sexual experience. Mm. And everybody's telling everybody else it's fun. Mm. And everybody's telling... Mm. And it's a huge, big lie. Yeah. And I suspect that if you look closely at the faces of these folks in Love Island and think, do they look peaceful people? Do they look happy? I don't think they are. I think they're exploited. They're exploited because advertisers think we want to watch them doing it. And they think I will be accepted if I go along with this. I think if you ask most of them that have been in there, they say it's damaged their mental health, it's yeah. damaged their self-esteem. Yeah. It's not been good. Some of them have made money out of it, but yeah. they've been trolled and slated and battered as a result. Very mm. few of them have stayed together. Yeah. But it is, that's what people think. I need to be like such and such on Love Island. Yeah. If I'm going to be an influencer, I need to do yeah. this, this and this. And, yeah. and it's yeah. sad. Yeah. It's really sad. And you've got loads of people thinking, uh, if I can have these sexual experiences and tell my friends about them, I am a happier person. And everybody's playing a game and nobody's happier except the people making money out of it. And it's still quite sexist. Mm. It's on, dirty old men. On Love Island, they, they quite often have this thing where you have to guess how many sexual partners the other one's had. And so for some of the guys, it's over 100. They've lost count, you know, and they're, they're in their early 20s. Just like, oh, my life. And so some of the women, if they were to say a number over 20, the reaction on social media, oh, look at her being with all those people. The guys can do what they want. 100, well done, mate, that's great. But for the women... It's just all wrong. Everybody's judged, everybody's criticised, nobody is happy, there's no security. We go back to the whole thing of love. This is not love, this is not mm. what love looks like. Mm. Love brings security mm. and trust, and there's none of that in mm. any of this, which mm. is why God says don't do it. Mm. I want you to be in relationships that are monogamous. I want you to be in relationships where you honour each other, where you love each other, where you put the other one first, where you enjoy each other, yeah. but in the right context, in yeah. the right way with security. Yeah. God's not being a killjoy. God created sex. Mm. <laughs> you know, he's not the one that's trying to, you know, say you can't have sex. He's just saying that there are certain ways that actually you'll be the most fulfilled and the least hurt. And there's no guarantees you won't be hurt because we're mm. human beings and we hurt each other. But it gives you more of a chance if you are in a monogamous, committed relationship. Mm. Mm. Okay, we've got five minutes left. Do you want to crack through stealing, lying and coveting? <laughs> <laughs> On the whole, stealing's, o stealing's okay. No, we, we understand stealing. Stealing yeah. is not okay. I take that back. Um, we think are, we understand. We think we understand it, but there are ways perhaps where we are playing the system um, and where we do steal. But it's not your conventional thing. I've got a confession. I was thinking about this earlier. Uh, I used to work for um, an organisation, let's say, and you had to, uh, you're looking at me really scared now, you had to key in and out 
um, when you started the day. So you were on flexi time. You'd key in in the morning, you'd key out for your lunch, you'd key back in at the end of lunch, and then you'd key in at the end of the day. And you could work up so many hours and you'd have that as, as flexi time off, which was fantastic. So I found a way to beat the system. I wasn't a Christian at the time. Uh, I would, um, at lunch times, I would put my little key fob in at about quarter to 12. That's when you could first have your lunch. I would then put it back in at 12.30, so the machine thought I'd had lunch. I didn't. I would then go off on a uh, two or three hour lunch break, come back, and I used to cheat the system and get, get time off, and I'm very sorry, Jesus, and everybody that I worked with. At the time, I didn't think it was stealing. Mm. I just thought it was a way around the system. I, I wasn't a thief. I didn't break into people's houses. But I think there are, that's probably quite an extreme version, but there are little things that we do where we are cheating the system, where we are stealing paper from work yep i don't nick paper from work copyright things illegal we watch online that we know Ooh, yes football matches or yes. music that we know mm. fundamentally stealing uh is taking something from somebody else mm. and one of the big things again we are straight into politics but whenever we find different ways to not pay tax, mm -hmm. you are stealing from me who having to pay for your hospital and your education mm -hmm. and your police force because you can't be bothered to mm -hmm. pay for it. And we're happy to pay for those things. Yeah. It's part of our giving, but everybody should also pay for those things. Yes. So yeah. you can, when people think you're stealing from the government isn't stealing, but you're stealing from me who's mm -hmm. paying yeah. in your place. Absolutely. Because you stole them. Absolutely. So maybe have a little look at our lives and to just honestly think, is everything that I do above board? Okay. Lying. So most of us would say, yeah, it's not right to tell a big fat outright lie. But a little white lie? Is that okay? Just a little one? Maybe makes the situation better, makes someone else feel better about themselves. Is that all right? Like your hair looks really good, Donald, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Joke. There's <laughs> <laughs> nothing wrong with your hair. I think it just always comes back. And, and, yeah. and I think you want to have a reputation that people believe what you say. Absolutely. My and yes people is trust yes. you. Yes. And that's what you're striving for in life because it's a much easier life when you only have to say something once because mm. people know that you, you're truthful. You it's integrity. really hard if people think, is he exaggerating? Is he making that mm. up? Is, he, is that really true? So you, at yeah. the end of the day, you don't help yourself by all the little things. Is it okay to um, not tell the truth and remain silent? So if someone asks you something directly and you don't actually answer that. Well, there are times when you have to do that. Yes, and that's okay. Well, it has to be because, there, because otherwise you'd be, you, you would be betraying the confidence mm. of somebody else, which is in effect lying to them when they, you said mm. they, they, you were trustworthy with that information. Mm. Yeah. And that's a really complicated situation that I have a lot of the time and find it very difficult to navigate as to how mm. you uh, communicate to people that sometimes it's even that you can't even communicate that you you know something because even the very fact that you know is is confidential mm. Mm. so it is hard you're very good at that I somebody know. says to you have you heard about and you'll say um well, you, you'll dodge it. If you have heard about it, 
has someone told you, if someone comes up to you and says, has someone told you about me, you'll never say yes. Yeah, so that's an often, it's an often question. Do you, do you know about Kath? And I'll say, what, what is it about Kath that you think I might know? Mm. And they'll say, how long have you got? <laughs> 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 okay, finally, we're coming into line with this. Coveting. Mm. You must not cover your neighbours. Um, there's a whole list, isn't there? There is. You should not cover your neighbour's house. You should not cover your neighbour's wife or his male or female servant or his ox or donkeys or anything that belongs to your neighbour. There's some versions of the Bible that say ass instead of ox or donkey, and I always quite like that. You shouldn't cover your neighbour, cover your neighbour's ass. What is coveting? Sorry, I'm just going to get sacked tonight. What is coveting? Sorry. Uh, <laughs> it's wanting what they have. Yep. And it's like the, the, we talked about anger and adultery, that the thought process is the key thing. We did a whole questions of life around envy, so I would mm. refer you to go back and look at that. But essentially, if you think about having what somebody else has, has yep. it will lead to one of two things. It could well lead to you trying to manipulate it so that you get it. Mm. More commonly, it will lead to you resenting them. Mm. And so it breaks down a relationship. So it has a double negative effect. Mm -hmm. And thirdly, it tends to make you more unhappy. I was going to say, it makes you dissatisfied with it your does. own life. I think we need to get over this idea that the grass is always greener. Yeah. You look at someone else and you think, oh, they've got it all. You don't know what's going on behind closed doors. You don't know what's going on in their minds, in their relationships. To everybody else that look like the perfect normal person, you don't know that. Mm. It's about counting the blessings of what we have. What is good in my life? Mm. What can I give thanks for? This whole, you know, you talk a lot about gratitude now. Mm. You've really learnt in that area. I think that's the positive that we take from this. It's not, mm. I want what they've got, but what have I got that's good? Mm. Spinning it around and making it positive. Yeah. Anything finally you want to add to the Ten Commandments? Well, just to go back to that first question, uh, I want to live the best life I can. Uh, I think that God is more likely to be able to help me to do that than if I ignore him. Absolutely. He's not out to ruin my life. He's out, he's out to help me. And if we have messed up in some of these areas, none of us are perfect. We all mess up. We're not perfect. God's a loving God. Absolutely. Wants to restore, wants to cleanse, wants to guide, wants to rebuild. Mm, absolutely. Brilliant. Thank you all for joining with us this evening. Hopefully we'll see you again soon. Um, but thank you ever so much and goodbye. Cheerio.